0: Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. All right, welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. today. I have my guests, Aaron and Carl uh, Rabke, and uh, both of them have been pivotal in my healing journey. And I discovered Carl. I can't even remember where the heck I discovered you from. Someone you invited me.
1: me to come teach at ecstatic dance.
0: Was that teach where? I, I think Don St. John there. might have told me. It. No,
1: it was uh, the woman who does rolfing, instructional
0: integration can't remember her name amber amber that's it that's who told me she told me about oh yeah i do this thing called feldenkrais and i'm like i have no idea who that is that the brother of jesus (laughs) (laughs) and uh, feldenkrais (laughs) so uh no and i I ended up finding you and i was in such a desperate way and and apparently most people that find you are often in a desperate way uh which basically allows them to learn a modality that really interrupts their story of being in this world so uh if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves and talking about like what is the work that you do because you both do so many things that it's hard to just put it under one label it'd be a very big business card
2: mm, it's true
1: yeah so uh i mean on our website we have our, our waking up and being embodied is a uh, kind of a large umbrella that covers many things we do with feldenkrais and the structural integration work, or Aaron's been doing the work that reconnects. Um, and Feldenkrais, it's, uh, it is is kind of a clumsy name, and has that rhyming with Christ. Um, and Geist. And Geist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but I, I think part of why it's still somewhat obscure, even in Bodywork circles is that it's it's something that doesn't have a kind of tidy elevator pitch description, and it also invites a real shift in uh, kind of how modern culture and conventional reality functions. You know, it's it's a it's a learning modality that uses movement to. Kind of create greater sensitivity and awareness so that we can discover our habits and compulsions and have a kind of reorganization around them and for many people it when they first come to it it's it's just uh very slow or subtle compared to doing hot yoga or something like that, and there's this view that the you know the more um, the higher the degree of stimulus, often the lower. Amount of sensitivity is there, and Feldenkrais work works with really growing the uh, the sensitivity and embodied presence through these subtle movements. Anything you want to add to that?
2: Well, I just want to mention that in case people are not familiar with Feldenkrais or Feldenkrais and these jokes about Jesus and what are we talking about, <laughs> this is a somatic education method that was developed by a man named Moshe Feldenkrais. And he was born in oh, Russia, I believe. In Well, I'm just trying to think Belarusian. of the year, but oh, in what's now okay. Ukraine. Um, yeah, so he died in 1984, is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't actually meet Moshe Feldenkrais, but studied with his uh, students. And it's a really sophisticated, beautiful, uh, hard to describe, um, respectful way of somatic education and somatic just means the body not as an object but how we experience it as living experience Mm -hmm. um so that's part of what we do do you want to i mean he was asking us to introduce ourselves so do you want to make your list of and then i'll make my list of what what we bring to this work and conversation
1: um sure yeah so um Carl Ravicky and uh, I'm a Feldenkrais practitioner and uh, also practice structural integration um, or Rolfing work. And then um, both of us also have been trained and work with grief rituals and do you know, group classes. And I do men's work and Erin does women's work. And yeah, a lot of it is just around helping people grow their embodied presence and how to deal with this crazy world that we're living in Mm
0: -hmm. and tai chi and qigong i believe you do as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so many things it's hard to even keep track
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's true it all makes sense to us um so i just want to add my own list and add to what carl described that we um in our early days carl used to come to my yoga classes about I don't know, 20-something years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we have a history in studying and practicing Tai Chi and yoga first. And then in 2003, we started studying Feldenkrais and did a four-year professional training. Um, And we also... Wait a
0: second. Four years? It took you four years to complete this... Yeah. Feldenkrais thing that you're talking about.
2: Yep. It, it's not four years straight like med school, but it's unfolds over four years um, because there's so much integration that has to happen. You know, when I started that training, I used to do yoga therapy for people with back problems and I really thought I was studying this work that I thought was so sophisticated and cool for my clients. And I had no idea how much it was going to completely change my own way of being in my body, my own way of thinking
0: What it reminds me of, because I also practice Feldenkrais, that's my main modality, even more than dance. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's even incorporated in every other aspect of my life, even things that have nothing to do with quote unquote movement, because life is a movement Mm -hmm. pattern and how you engage with life. Uh, Feldenkrais, the philosophy behind that that happens through these movement practices Mm -hmm. starts to affect all of these elements. But uh, what I feel like for me, and probably how you felt practicing yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong and then discovering Feldenkrais, is that for a while you thought, and I heard this used with like Niels Bohr and Einstein, is that for a long time people thought, oh, well... You know, all there is is particle physics. You know, we're almost, we're almost at the point where we've got everything figured out. We have the theory of everything all, already established. And all of a sudden, they, they, they discover the quantum realm. You know, and they're like, oh my gosh. Like, not only do we not know everything, it's everything we thought we knew is now in question. And for mm-hmm. me, that was Feldenkrais. So I'm like, well, wait a second. You mean I could tweak my neck and then in this weird way that I can't even describe, it's not mechanical. I don't know how moving my ankle Somehow makes my neck release. Mm -hmm. But this is happening to me now. Like, I've, I came to you guys because I was completely broken physically. Like, I couldn't walk. I had a walker. I was 37 years old with a walker. I was emaciated. I got down in the 120s, down from at one point 205, all muscle bodybuilding, doing yoga, doing these things, mechanical you know, I, I, you know, my body looked the right way, but I mean, I had very limited movement. I mean, it looked as though I did. I mean, I could bend and fold and stretch and lift heavy weights, but the actual movement, like if you were to map out, like on a piece of paper, how I move, it would look very different from how I move today. Mm -hmm. How I move today looks more like a squid or an octopus. Like I can move in very minute ways, uh, which, didn't come about until Feldenkrais, and it came through my most rigid place, Mm -hmm. the discovery of an invitation, as it would be, uh, from a book, which is what I was currently following, to maybe the book The Never-Ending Story, that just seems like (laughs) it goes forever.
2: It's true. Yeah, it's such rich learning territory. So you can imagine why when you're sharing this work with people, which we do both in movement classes and hands-on work, you got to go deep in your own self first, you know, to integrate and really change your way of thinking. So I just love the way you describe that from particle physics to Mm -hmm. the quantum realm. I think that's a great analogy. Um, And if I can just say that um, something that's really exciting to me about about this, which ties into like an inner way of embodying or understanding the kind of – deep ecology shifts we're being called to make in the world is that Feldenkrais is rooted in systems thinking about, you know, um the body and how what you're doing with your ankle or your ribs or your hips affects your neck or what you're not allowing yourself to do with those places. So it's it's a way to step out of that reductionistic part-based um Western model of ourselves, and it's, you know, though I used to give lip service to this and have great faith in this, in yogic practice, to have the felt experience of moving as a whole instead of a collection of parts you're doing things to, you Mm -hmm. know, as your body, it's just beautiful. Want to add to that, Chris?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, both of us came to Feldenkrais from a background of meditation. You know, we both practiced in the, the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and as kind of, You know, there was like, for me, there was the, you know, the, what's often the gateway drug of massage school, you know, (laughs) studying body work and then going into the structural integration. And the Feldenkrais modality was one that really honored something that's often given lip service to, that awareness is self-organizing. And many modalities kind of claim that in a way, but there's still a sort of top-down giving instructions from the head there's a certain right way to be and feldenkrais the the pedagogy looks it you know it's similar to how we learn as babies you know that there's there's they're not following instructions or rules but they're learning through sensation and through play and uh feldenkrais had this wonderful line and
0: through themselves even because yeah. they're not even mimicking their parents, because their parents are not moving how they're moving.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, Feldenkrais had this wonderful line of, when you know what you're doing, you can do what you want, and and you could reverse that and say, if you don't know what you're doing, then you can't do what you want, and that is so applicable for the times we're living in right now. To like, can we get a sense of of what we're doing so we can move in the direction that we're intending.
2: And I'm compelled to add on to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> which can see is, that
0: in your face, Aaron.
2: <laughs> yes, the second part of that is the the recognition that it's so much easier to do what somebody tells you to do than to slow down enough to discover what you're actually doing. And then step into that place of greater freedom and greater responsibility where you get to choose to do what you want, which is how you hold your body, how you're living in the world, you know, like I think even when we speak about extrapolating this view to how we're living in the world right now, don't we all just want somebody to tell us what to do (laughs) to fix this mess and what a different invitation it is to take personal responsibility. And as Carl mentioned earlier, that, um, that the greater the stimulus, the less sensitive we are when Mm -hmm. we can slow things down and, sense more clearly what's happening we get a lot more information and I think that's true culturally you know Mm -hmm. if we could slow down and sense what we're actually doing
0: Mm -hmm. Well intelligence by definition is a degree of sensitivity. Right. So like why are these microphones that we're using? These are supposedly the best mics that have just come out. Maybe there's ones that cost thousands of dollars that Mm -hmm. are better. But the reason is that they're so expensive and that they're so admired and revered in the audiophile profession is that they're agreed their degree to be able to pick up the most sensitive nuances yet in the way that we live in our human bodies, which is the very temple of our soul and our temple of our existence, everything we experience in life comes through our body. I believe even our dreams are Mm -hmm. affected by the way that our body is. And most people are using their bodies as almost a machine to trudge through life, to trudge to a job that they don't fully enjoy to sit in crappy chairs and do the same movement patterns that they always do. And in order to feel good about them, because they don't really know that there's an alternative, I didn't, right. is I would go, okay, what do I need to do? And for a while I was like, okay, I need to lift weights, but I also need to be flexible. So you know, I even came, created a mantra for myself, you know, you know, flexible, hard as a rock. I cannot, I will not be stopped. I mean, this was back in the, the tw- in, in, you know, when I was in my twenties, going to yeah. Anthony Robbins seminars. So thankfully, I guess, or, or at, not at the time, but... I think the two worlds merge. I started, I need to dance so I have more fluidity and I need to do yoga so I'm more flexible and I need to lift weights so I could be strong. And at some point, all of those converged and I just broke, Mm -hmm. Um, which for me, um, I guess I needed to do that by the definition that I did, but I would love to spare people of that miserable experience if I can. (laughs) And I know you came into this with a back injury that you, that you, received a lack of a better word
2: I gave myself
0: (laughs) that you gave yourself from doing what you thought was what you should be doing quote-unquote to be healthy and you were doing all the right postures and all the right sequences and all the right Mm -hmm. breathing and you're flexing your abs and doing all of the things that you're supposed to you you were a well-tuned machine as we would call it
2: (laughs) yeah it's true and um, I think it's also really exciting I know this isn't true for everyone because sometimes you have... Pain is so complicated, so I always want to be super humble when we talk about pain because it's so nuanced, it's related to so many things. Um, so hear my humility as I'm saying this, but one of my teachers said, um, you don't have a bad back, you just have a willingness to compress it, you know? And what a, both that pissed me off, but then it gave me ground to actually work with myself um, my injury was, uh, real serious sacroiliac instability from having an already flexible body, which I did a lot of yoga with for years and just really loosen these ligaments through kind of pulling my body apart, you know, instead of, um, cohering it together. And I never thought I would be over that. I just thought, oh, my ligaments, that's ruined. They, you know, I'm going to have to live with that. And, um... And what's interesting, you know, the Feldenkrais work came out of Moshe Feldenkrais's knee injury and his way of beginning to work with that. And it's kind of inspiring, like you said, when you can relate to pain as an invitation to slow down and get creative. Um, if, if what we're doing isn't working, you know, how could I do something differently? And I had to really change how I... Um, pushed myself, how I deleted my own experience, how I, you know, even as you said earlier, I was struck by the word, how people use their bodies. And Mm. even that phrase, using your body Mm. is so awful. (laughs) Like it just makes my gut clench a little bit, you know? So, um, would you
0: recommend replacing use body with to describe being
2: embodied, Mm. you know? So there's a way in which I, I, I have used this phrase sometimes about the difference between uh, having a dog and being a dog Mm -hmm. is like sometimes when we um, and, and I know so many uh, beautiful human beings, but very disembodied yogis and athletes and, you know, people who use their bodies in Mm -hmm. very, what look like sophisticated ways. But it's using their bodies. It's like taking the dog for a walk. Like you described with your weightlifting, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do these things to my body. Mm -hmm. And what shifts when you're functioning as yourself, instead of doing things to your body, Mm -hmm. I really love the language that comes from our friend, Philip Shepard who's an amazing writer and, um, this changes everything. You can feel this. The difference even between, he said, this, is, this really changed things for me. So I had an inkling in my own practice, but I love the way he articulated this. He says, feel what happens when you say, I'm going to listen to my body, which is better than not listening to your body, right? But it reinforces this split as if you are not your body and you're putting your ear up against the wall of your body and listening to this thing down there. That's so disconnected and objectified. And feel the difference if you say, I'm listening through my body to this moment in my life. That to it and through it is so profoundly different. So when, for me, if I was doing you know, yoga asana practice, um, to my body or as myself made such a difference. You know, this, mm-hmm. there, there can be, it's so much easier to um, be violent and objectify it. And again, this ties for me back into right here at home, when we are reinforcing that kind of top-down power, objectifying, um, and again, to borrow Phillips' language, being headist, mm-hmm. you know, where you're in your head and we're objectifying our feelings and trying to control and organize them. We're objectifying this body and trying to tame it and corral it and make it look right how we think it should look. Then we're doing that to the earth and we're doing that to others you know and what can change i think it's fascinating to include our embodiment in this when we stop when we step out of that paradigm of objectifying and doing things to it even you know like in western culture we're well intentioned we think we know we're doing all these fix fixes
0: Oh, we're the best at that.
2: But we're not connected, and they we're end the up having all these... We're the best at doing the fixes. Right? Yeah. Awful... Fixes on um, fixes
0: on fixes. It's like the genie with the three like three wishes, yeah, and you need more wishes to undo the first wish.
2: That are bringing us to the very verge of extinction. you know. Mm-hmm. So what happens when we um, step out of being identified as this thinking head <laughs> and objectifying you know, the body, each other, our feeling, life the world around us and start to be in such a deeper, more intimate relationship. And you have to slow down to do that. So, you know, it's completely changed my relationship with my own embodiment. I don't use my body (laughs) anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I experience my body and I'm intending to take good care of life. And that has changed my relationship with the plants in my front yard and how I show up when I go on a hike in the mountains of being in much more intimate living relationship. And you know, what's kind of crazy is it's alive, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's so beautiful when we um, dissolve. Well, can I, can I go off on a tangent for a moment totally. here? Yes. Um, this is really exciting to me. So, Learning years ago that um, in indigenous languages overall, to make a big umbrella statement, the ratio of nouns and verbs is about 70% verbs and 30% nouns. English is the reverse of that. Mm -hmm. We have more nouns, 70% nouns, and about 30% verbs. And how we use language, like using the body, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's a noun, Um, of course hugely experiences alters our experience of life so there's something about what I'm I'm dancing around here that is like when we can step out of the experience of the body as a noun mm. and the tree in my yard as a noun and you Zach as a noun a noun a
0: is an object whereas an a, object, a verb is a living process a living process and if you look at this if you want to deep 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 into this uh, this occurred to me through some reading yeah. is that uh, live or live or yeah. alive is that process that's alive right. and active and something we can participate in brings us together whereas if you reverse it which is kind of you said i noticed that you said the english language is almost reversed the inverse yeah. of that if you take li- live and you spin it around what does that spell
2: yeah <laughs> evil <laughs> that's Hilarious. Evil. Yeah. You
1: can switch them around and make vile. <laughs> <laughs> you could do all sorts of things. <laughs> but it's. But, I mean, when it comes to the body, too. I mean, so often we make our back pain a solid noun. That's the same thing, or we make. I our, have
0: a back pain. Right here, I am. Or again. a migraine. Now there's three of us. There's me, my body, and my
1: back. Or right. an anxiety. And how can we approach that with a, a kind of living? fresh respectful relationship so that it doesn't become this solid thing that we're at war with but something that we are intimate with and learning its ways and what supports and what aggravates it
2: Mm -hmm. and I just want to say this isn't for everybody because I know sometimes when you're in pain you just want the damn pill and I just want somebody to fix me and this work is not for you if you're still in that place. You know? yeah. And what you said in the beginning is, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, a lot of people find their way to the Feldenkrais work when everything else has failed. And they're like, hey, I read about this and the brain's way of healing, or I heard about this from so-and-so who referred me, and they're willing to try it, and then it changes everything. you know. As you said, I love how you said, you know, once, once you learn to think in that way, once you learn to treat yourself and life in that way, it it changes how you do everything, you know.
0: Yes, I was blessed to have been addicted mm-hmm. to opiates um, for emotional pain. Uh, I discovered that from having a lot of tooth problems from my upbringing and all sorts of things, having my nose reconstructed and all of that. I took Percocets, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I. I could could think now and I feel not like Mm. shit for the first time in my life. I remember when I I was like, this is like the limitless pill. I was able able to do all the things I couldn't get myself to do. Uh, I was able to go out in public places and do all sorts of things and have like social interactions with people. I'm like, this is the perfect medicine. I just got to figure out a way to take this. And if I do this, then I'm totally fine. And so, uh, which led me to opiate addiction taking a boga to be able to get off of the opiate addiction going through before that going through 20 different withdrawal periods which is basically like feeling like you're going to die it's unimaginably you want to crawl out of your own skin but you can't get out because once you're numb trying to get back into your body is like extremely i mean I, I, you can't even describe it once you've been numb for a long time mm. the minute you stop taking these medicines or these pills now you're inhabiting a body that is intelligent and telling you like this is on fire this emotion this it's just you know you want to Mm -hmm. crawl out of your skin but you can't get anywhere so uh thankfully when my back went out I had already done all of this opiate problem so I'm like well that's clearly not an option Mm -hmm. so uh it pushed me in this direction where I think other people might go through surgery and my I couldn't go through surgery like I think I would have gotten someone would have definitely told me I should go through surgery Mm uh and uh I didn't. I wouldn't do that because then I'd have to take the opiates. At which point I'm terrified. I was terrified that I would become hooked on them because it's almost like the you that takes the opiates becomes hijacked by a spirit of sorts that like can't stop. Like, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you have a moment of clarity. You're like, holy shit, what happened in the last five years? Like, I have a vague recollection of what happened, mm-hmm. and that was my experience. And my guess is some people that are listening to this have been going down a pathway, going like, and this is a this is the bat signal. You know, it's going, hey, there's another way. Uh, how would you recommend they get at this? Because there's more, Feldenkrais is just one element, and the movement part is just one element. Moshe first discovered this because he couldn't walk, so it came out of necessity. His wound, which was his knees, became his gift, which was this idea of what he calls Feldenkrais after his own name. And then that developed into, after he learned how to walk again, it developed into all of a sudden he's able to move in all sorts of different ways. And he's able to help people that have like cerebral palsy be able to like move and people yeah. that would, shouldn't be able to walk, be able to dance at their weddings So like people with Parkinson's disease being able to, to walk and, and move without, athletes, yeah. with high level athletes. Right. So all of a sudden, all of these other things started to unfold. And then that, it didn't even stop there. Then he's like, well, I really find that m- focusing on my attention on my movements is, is holographically affecting how I think, how I view the Absolutely. world. Uh, my, 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 my how i how i look at language how i speak mm-hmm. everything yeah so i don't know if you want to speak to that to everything you know yeah i'll
1: not... we'll speak to Well, i think <laughs> one thing that's that's really important is to have a sense of humor about it all <laughs> yeah you know that it's it's humbling and it takes a lot of practice if you've been in a world that's mostly nouns they don't just like suddenly shift to verbs it takes some easing in and same with when we've been objectifying our body there'll be momentum to objectify and we can keep coming back like one of the lines that we repeat probably ad nauseum for many people but it we always need reminders of it in the movement lessons we teach is is there any way that i could do this movement in a way that's uh less effortful and more pleasurable or more satisfying and you know for someone who's listening right now if you're sitting or walking could you pause and just see is there any way that you could be sitting or walking, that could reduce even five percent of the effort you're using, or mm-hmm. could you be a little bit easier, or to you know feel the presence of the ground or the chair under your feet or your butt, you know mm-hmm. that those kind of reminders uh, will gradually draw us back into this embodied presence. But it takes yeah, it takes humor and repetition. Mm-hmm.
0: Does your stomach have to be that tight right now to be walking or driving or whatever it is? That was one of my big things. Oh, yeah. I was just like, got it. Like, that is the way to be is to have that stomach in tight, up and tucked up and, rah, rah, mm-hmm. you know, shoulders back. You know, uh, right. Jordan Peterson comes to mind, you know, be like the lobster, shoulders back, stand up straight and move through the world, eyes forward, you know, and right. you'll get what you want, you know, and uh in some ways, you'll get what you think you want. But I, even what you're trying to get at is really trying to get back to that. I mean, look at, a, look at an infant. They, you're trying to get there is really what you want. That feeling of aliveness and those big eyes and this deep connection. That's really what you want. All of the other things that you would have to puff yourself up and hold the abs in and all of that is mm-hmm. to get is a substitute, really, for what you really are looking for. Uh, what comes to mind is when I first heard of Feldenkrais, uh, I had some, uh, somebody gave me, it wasn't even you, it was somebody in Hawaii gave me, uh, an awareness through movement lesson. And the woman in this lesson was telling me, okay, and now try to do it easier and then move your leg in this way. Cause there's no demonstration. And I remember getting so mad cause I couldn't do it. and I didn't understand what they meant. I was screaming at my phone yeah. and I, and, it, and, and like somehow there was a moment of clarity that emerged and I'm like. Why am I so mad? It's because I want to blame her for not giving me the right instructions. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and, and I'm like, and I also felt stupid that I couldn't move in the way. And Madeline somehow like knew what she meant. Mm-hmm. I was losing, I mean I lost it for like an hour before I like was <laughs> able to pick that up again. And this comes back to this process. We've been told to punish ourselves for not, you know, operating and, and it creates a really fucked up feedback loop, totally. you know. Trying to do something new. Oh, I don't know how to do this new thing correctly. Oh, I i need to punish myself for not doing this thing correctly. Oh, now I feel even worse and I'm screwing up even more. And you get all muddled and tangled up.
2: Oh, there's so much. I'm, I'm making notes here because I want to I see say that. so much in response yeah, yeah. to what you're asking. So, um well, what you just said about learning and, you know, I love also the the honesty of being pissed about it in the beginning. Many people, it's so disorienting to step into a Feldenkrais class when you're used to somebody telling you what to do. And um, I find this work is so respectful because we respect you way too much to tell you what to do. Mm. And in the beginning, that can piss you off. Like, well, wait, you're just left flailing on your own, but the lessons and the classes have structures to help you learn in specific ways. Um I was just thinking of I maybe it's a some physicist or something maybe Nobel prize winner I don't remember who said this but he said you know I am not the greatest expert in my field I'm just the one who's made the most mistakes. Mm. And that's how we learn, right? That's mm. how we learn to walk as babies so that whole loop of punishing yourself when you make a mistake and shutting down. And there's a the difference between safe learning, mistakes
0: and not safe mistakes, which right? Which is
2: why we start In such gentle ways, so you can start to discover, oh my God, I'm cranking on myself. Oh, that hurts when I do it like that. I get to choose? Yes, I get to choose how how I'm going to inhabit and move my body. Um, One of the sort of orientations in this work that's so deeply important to both of us is uh, the way Feldenkrais said this, which just knocked the wind out of me when I first heard him quoted as saying this line, even after we were doing this work for several years, he said his definition of a mature human being is someone who has reappropriated inner authority. And that the point of these movement lessons is to help you to remove outer authority from your inner life. Mm. And it doesn't mean you're not a learner. Actually, you are you can be the most curious learner. and You
0: participate in your own teaching. It right. doesn't mean that you don't have teachers. Right. It means that you're part of you actually could help teach yes. them and they help teach you krishna who who is one of like gosh that man was like a for me such a revolutionary and life changer yeah. like like i was so indoctrinated into the you know deep deep fundamentalist christian religion and I felt completely trapped by it and I was looking for another authority and I found it in Tony Robbins and I found it in Eckhart Tolle and I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I am just going to listen to this one person. I need someone to listen to. I didn't even want another voice because the more voice I have, the more confused I got. I'm like... You guys are saying conflicting things. Who do I trust? Which one <laughs> is right? The, that's you know? the thing. Right? And, like, and it's terrifying to take those reins back, you know, because yeah. if you're taking it back at 37, you've been without those reins for a long time. Oh. You're far down this strange pathway, and part of you wants to believe you're going the right way. Right. And uh, and I found that if I kept going that way, uh, I was going off a cliff of sorts. And uh, for me, I had to see the precipice right. to really go, okay, I guess I'm going to wander some different direction. and I had teachers, and I wanted Carl just to tell me what the hell to do. I remember I, I love Philip Shepard's book, too, and he said somewhere, somewhere, it's like, just breathe into your pelvic bowl, and that's how, like, everything works. And I'm like, that's it. I got the secret. I met with Carl, and I'm like, damn it, Carl, why didn't you just tell me the secret? All I had to do was breathe into the pelvic bowl. You just want me to keep coming back for more Feldenkrais things. And, uh, you know, we're looking for that magic bullet or yeah. that panacea, and that panacea is a constant investigation as that's opposed it. to a place you arrive at. And if you think it through, you don't want Imagine you arrive at the place. Now you're God of everything, of your whole planet, and you're in control of everything. Okay, now you're here. Now what do you do? Mm -hmm. Like, do you just sit there on the throne and command? You already know that whatever you're going to command is going to work. It's so beautiful to be in a a state of constant learning, Mm -hmm. constant feeling an even broader spectrum of emotions, feeling even more connected to others around you, yourself and the world at large, feeling even more connected to your ancestors, feeling more connected to a beautiful future, All mm-hmm. feeling more connected to your grief because it goes in both directions. The roots go down as deep as the tree could grow up. Yeah. Both of those need to happen at the same time. And I think this might be a good part because I've seen some of the things you're writing
1: down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Many things. You want to say something, well, Carl?
1: I want to say mm-hmm. um, you know what comes up with that is... Uh, One of our teachers, Reggie Ray, had this great line of how one of the main differences between indigenous cultures and modern life is this emphasis on connection versus improvement. And that the indigenous way was always to return to a sense of connection and wholeness, whereas modernity, there's such an ascension model, and you see that in modern religions you see it in capitalism like this you see it in tony robbins you know this every day i'm getting better and smarter and this this constant going up versus this returning and including and and when we can have that sense of connecting to the enoughness whether it's in our body or in spiritual practice you know it's such a different uh feeling than this constantly having to do something better to be okay it
0: feels paradoxical though as a listener totally. i'm imagining that they're saying well wait a second like i thought so then everything i'm doing is fine i'm already enlightened i'm already doing everything right i'm gonna you know by do it by looking at something new then that somehow isn't the case and i think that there's a subtlety here of i think people don't even know what it means to connect with more with more Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to they, they they equate this comes I think from our agricultural era, you know like what is good, more is always good, mm-hmm. more money is always better, more likes on Facebook, you mm-hmm. know uh, more friends, uh, all of this moreness mm-hmm. somehow, if I have more then i 'll be safe it 's the whole idea of like farming I, every moment I spend should be a spend, uh, should be spent accumulating because i don 't know how the winter 's going to be, mm-hmm. and it seems like everybody 's preparing for this winter that never comes, and instead in its place comes usually. Uh, which Jenkinson calls more time living a life that you never really signed up to live in the first place because it looks nothing like the life that you were planning to live.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much we could go on and on. Yeah. Um, I I'm just thinking about uh, you know, Carl, you were talking about sense of humor being so important, and I just want to say this: the quality of kindness is so giant too. To be, you know, have a sense of humor and a sense of kindness toward yourself. Um, I'm thinking of this connection and improvement paradox, right? Because what what will happen if you go to a Feldenkrais practitioner? They're not going to fix you. They're going to help you get more connected to feeling what you're actually doing, to a sense of new possibilities. And I'm thinking about Zen teacher Sherry Huber has this quote that I love where she says, self-hatred uses self-improvement as self-maintenance. So to unpack that, it can often be a rejection of ourselves that takes us into constantly trying to improve ourselves. Like, what is, is not okay. So I got to keep working, 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 working. And um, Mm. it's not that when you get connected, you're stuck. And that's fine. It's not like, hey, I'm enlightened. I'm going to get connected. It's about... um, when we get connected, the paradox is improvement happens, but not through the channel of rejecting yourself and fixing yourself. It's like reawakening that biological intelligence. so it when it it might look very similar when a similar thing for me, this is so important mm. it comes through a channel of organic learning instead of our inner critic. our life mm. is completely different, right?
0: You know, I'm just picturing that people i I, I find that they're the external reflects the internal shame right. uh what's coming to mind is like me i was always pretty skinny and like i moved really fluidly and when i was a kid i'd get called a faggot and beat up and right. you know all sorts of things it didn't help that i was the one white kid in the neighborhood too right uh, maybe there was one or two others somewhere but they didn't go outside i was the one that was outside so i was dealing with it but uh i always wanted to be the opposite of what i was like right. somehow uh i wanted to be Buff, and I like went through great measures to get there. I had to eat food that I didn't really like to get there, and overeat. So I, a lot of this was learned. It mm-hmm. wasn't my instinctive nature. And then I've gone to other countries, and it's you know where in other in, in here everybody's trying to be tan in the United States, <laughs> and and then you go to other countries, and they're using they're already tan, and they're trying to be white. Right. You know, and uh, uh, it's it's people trying to be the opposite of what they are because they're so indoctrinated to focus on the struggle almost. And this is found, I see it in yoga classes, a lot of times people don't look really happy and they look like they're really struggling. The more struggle, the better. If you could make the room really hot and like pull and push and grind it in, then that somehow... I feel like I really did something there. yeah. And with ecstatic dance, I probably run into some of the same elements mm-hmm. that you do, which it's like, well, what do you do there? And why do you, what do you do? What's the utility of this dance thing? Right. Sometimes I like try to give them something because like the mind needs it. It's like, oh, the utility is, is uh, you'll be way more liberated in your profession and you'll look at everything differently in a better, higher way. And they go, oh, and then they go there and they're like, hey, you tricked me, but I got something that I was really looking for. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, it's interesting like what we what we think we want, and then what we actually get through exploring this work, you know? Um, I want to say something, too, about the... Oh, what happens when we can make this shift, and it, it absolutely takes time. This is not an instant thing. You have to unlearn a lot of the shit we've been programmed with. The relief of trusting something other than just your thinking mind. When you can trust the kind of biological intelligence which you use to learn to walk, for sure. Thank God we didn't have language when we learned to walk or we would have such inner critic bullshit around, you know, basic movements. At least we got some of that. Um, You don't learn to walk by trying to contract your psoas and shifting your weight and somebody telling you. You learn to walk by not being in your head. It's not, you know, by feeling and continually following what Carl said. You know, there's an intention and then you weed out what's less what's what's overly effortful or what's not working and you learn in that way. So there's something huge that's like a joy and a relief to lay down having to fix and manage everything including yourself all the damn time. And can I say one more thing? Yeah. <laughs> so this is um another piece of giant relief and I know the suffering inside these states I'm describing really well. I used to live really well inside this Searching for the right way. Hmm. And another line from Moshe Feldenkrais that I love is he said, why would you want to get to write? Because you could never improve on right. If you're in a living relationship and learning, it's not like, you know, what happens when you think you know the right way is you quit paying attention, right? And instead, when you awaken this, um, a phrase that I love from the title of a book by one of our Feldenkrais teachers, Ruthie Alon, is mindful spontaneity. Great book. Such I, I think book.
0: everyone should read that I book. It should so be too. before you take physical education <laughs> in school, you should read mindful spontaneity. It's a
2: great book that, um, when you can awaken that quality of mindful spontaneity, you don't, you're not stuck in right, you know, and that search for right. And then the relief of, I don't have to pay attention because I finally have the right way. And I'm remembering one client I was working with. This was many years ago. And I had such a sense of how our education it, for many of us, and at least in this country, um, reinforces this way of learning so I was inviting her she was new into doing a particular movement with herself and okay sense how this affects your foot pain and what's happening when you stand like this or move your foot like this and I would invite her to explore it and 10 seconds later she'd be like okay I got it got it mm. and I was like but wait no I'm I'm asking you to stay in there and keep feeling yourself okay so try this and she'd be like I got it like Mm. the point is if you got it you just slammed the door on your capacity to learn from what you're doing
0: and this is another great thing you could learn so much about your psychology and the way you (laughs) think through how you move
2: because it's all one actually totally i
0: I would find myself like okay i'm moving in this way and have this like got it thing and the minute i would have that everything would tighten up and i'm like and then i'd be like (laughs) wow everything's tightening up and then i would release it i'm like wow everything's released and it you you watch these loops play when i first done the uh, the ibogaine to like help with the opiate addiction i had quit like through cold turkey and like mm-hmm. was basically white knuckling this addiction for a year just mm-hmm. like I'm not going to do anything that's going to make me take opiates, which actually led me from having a company that did millions of dollars of revenue a year that I started and founded multiple different companies to where I used to be able to get up in front and speak and do all these things. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm living in a tent in the wilderness because I couldn't get myself to do any miserable work (laughs) because my capacity to like deal with suffering without numbing at that point was virtually zero. So I could do some like gentle yoga, Uh, and I could sit and read a book and drink coffee and eat food, and that's about all I could do. The minute i do anything more than that, I'd walk in the park, I could sing, and and that my capacity was that small, truly. Everything was built on top of that. Mm -hmm. That was just the beginning of my journey, and my guess is that if you're probably listening to this podcast, you've been through some of this journey, and maybe what this could be for you is some further resources of how the physical embodiment could lead be a portal into all of those other things that it doesn't look like it's the portal to, but paradoxically is the portal to. it's one of these ways that you could really it's one of the blind sides it's the you know the the somatic body is essentially our living embodied unconscious and as we feel uh, it uncovers to our conscious awareness, which uses language and all of these things, and dreams. It uncovers a lot of these elements. It's like all of a, you've been in, locked in this house, and all of a sudden you discover this secret trap door like Narnia, and next thing you know like you're seeing all of the You're like, what the hell? There's been a damn Narnia in my closet? You know, what's going on here? It was
1: just that down in my pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down in my pelvis. I, I mean, I think a word that's so important here, Zach, is, uh, is integration. You know, that when Aaron was talking about trusting something other than thinking mind, like thinking mind is wonderful when it's in relationship to the intelligence of your heart and the intelligence of your gut and the intelligence of your bone and the intelligence of the living world around. But often our thinking mind is like dominating and filtering everything through that particular small band of knowingness. And and this is something where, Um, Another of our mentors, uh, Russell Delman, and his embodied life work has been so helpful. And and he uh, works with this practice of inner listening that's based in and very similar to the focusing work that Gene Genlin came up with of uh, how to really be in inquiry with how life is living through our bodily states. Mm -hmm. That every interaction, that every moment of, you know, elation or anxiety is is a physical experience and and we're often not getting how much is resonating in our torso in our belly in our skin as we're going through
2: Mm -hmm.
1: our moments in life
2: yeah it's it's almost about awakening to the awareness that's already there right you know we something, just ignore it.
1: Something mm-hmm. that's coming up
0: really strongly for me is I'm realizing that what's been so helpful for me is being around people like you and people that are embodied because it's an in, just your very being is an invitation in being different with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because a lot of times I could think I know what, where, where I'm going. I could listen to this podcast and I can go, okay, okay, I better more relax in my belly, which is great. Do that also. Like yeah. this, yes, and uh, <laughs> something that's been really helpful is to be around people that are more embodied, and and we hear this thing in the Bible by their by your by their fruits you shall know them, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people again restrict that, minimizing go okay how much wealth they have, My, be, meaning wealth like how big is their house, how big is their uh their how nice is their car, how how big is their diamond ring, but no wealth means how is their life experience like do they look. Comfortable in their body? Mm-hmm. Like, are they able to be with grief? You know, like, are they, they don't necessarily need to be happy all the time. We live in Utah where people, you could go down to some counties and some towns in Utah where everybody looks like they are in perfect <laughs> paradise with an inversion happening outside and people choking on the air like, hey, how are you? I'm doing very great. How are you? I'm fantastic. You know, like, I mean, it's, it scares me really. And what that shows to me is an inability to feel. The grief and the pain and the, 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 the reality of what's happening outside and kind of a form of magical thinking or what some people refer to now as, as uh, spiritual bypassing. I want to know right. if you could speak to being with both the un- discomfort of being in the body as well as being the discomfort of mm-hmm. being on this planet and being in it as opposed to being the homunculus or the president at the top, totally disconnected from the world, saying it should be this way because this is how it is for me and everybody should be like me. How do you be in the pain in the inversion in go back into that body and feel what the hell's
1: happening there
2: you want to uh, go there's so much on this <laughs> we could have hours about this
1: um <clears throat> yeah well there's there's definitely i mean there's so much potential for bypassing and i think it's it's happening a lot now with practices around meditation and yoga like it's a it's a real hard suffering world and some of these practices can kind of veer us to the side like oh i can be in my you know you look at the cover of yoga journal or esalen catalog or something and, and <laughs> it's this sense of peace whereas i i love the uh term that pema chodron uses of like we often think of a spiritual practice as like walking on this stairway out of the muck you know to satori or to heaven and like Whoa! when really it's it's walking down into the muck and it's developing a capacity of intimacy to be with, uh, another term to use, the places that scare us and to mm-hmm. have a different relationship with that. And uh, I think it, that can be experienced on so many levels, whether it's a physical challenge or you know a part of myself that I don't like or a part of myself that I want to improve. And, and it goes to also the you know kind of what comes from jung or michael mead that often our genius is with the wound like the gift that we're going to be invited to give in this life is intimately connected with one of you know what we find most challenging or what we want to get rid of or what we want to use psychotherapy to to fix and and how to have a kind of way of entering that so that we can Uh, greet these parts of ourselves that we're trying to lop off or get away from.
2: Mm I want to say, I think it's great that there's so much more awareness now around um, so many people unpacking trauma work and how to do that. Um, One of the things that I really appreciate is, uh, you know, Stephen Jenkinson who you've interviewed Mm -hmm. said in one of his places, you know, these days, waking up means waking up with a sob. So that's often true in our own history, how we carry it in our Mm -hmm. embodied lives. And certainly if we're willing to like pull our head out of the sand and look around at what's happening with extinction and suffering all around us. So of course people don't want to wake up to their bodies because holy shit, that's where you're going to feel everything you've been so busy avoiding. So going back to, you know, having compassion and a sense of humor and community to support you in that. Um, One of our mentors, Francis Weller, has this gorgeous line that he says, his version of a mature human being (laughs) is to hold grief grief in one hand and gratitude in the other and let yourself be stretched large by them. So we need both of those. Um, to make space for both of those and and grow that range. Being with people in that range is just um, one of the sweetest things. So, you know, we've done community grief-tending rituals and continue to offer that here in the community. Um, Oh, and I wanted to say, even just in the moment right now, um, one of my favorite words, and this comes from Russell Delman, is uh, witnessing. So when something comes up, or there's a pain, or there's a grief, or there's a part of us we want to bypass and are trying to get away from, to, yeah, I just had this conversation with my friend who was sitting here in these same chairs a couple Mm. days ago, and he said, how do you work with that when that comes up in you? And I almost used this as a verb. I said, oh, I hello sweetheart that. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, okay, you're talking about something feels really off for you right now. Can you feel that in your body? Like, we could all do this right now. I'm feeling tense or I'm feeling whatever is there. It's a, We know to use that language because there's some bodily sense mm-hmm. that it comes from. So say he said, I feel it in my heart. I said, maybe you can put a hand on your heart and just say, my language is sweetheart. Maybe you, like, oh, hello, big guy. You know, like, mm-hmm. hello, sweetheart. I know you're there. Just that, to the suffering, so that you can... Um, be the best friend to all the whole village in there (laughs) Mm. of your inner life. And again, this is about stepping out of um, fixing it, objectifying it, and improving it, and instead being connected and to compassionately say to uh, the panic that I feel, as I'm feeling the support of the ground and my embodied presence, I can really grow a sense of um, the part of me my vast, most magnanimous self that can welcome my pain and say, I know you're there and I'm with you. And Hey, how do you want me to be with you right now?
0: A lot of people have not had that example. You know, I'm, as you're saying this, I'm like, I could picture myself even a couple years ago going, I don't deserve to be okay with my pain or what I'm a little pussy man up. You don't get to feel that pain. Get on with it. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Yeah. you know uh yeah
2: yeah
0: you know I, I that's that's kind of what i picture in my head but at the same time i i ran that program for a long time and and it's very isolating eventually and uh and painful because eventually the pain gets so big that it, it will break you and, yeah. and it will bring you to your knees and i i think this is an invitation for those that feel that way if you don't want to be brought to your knees i could tell you that i i pushed all of those boundaries all of those limits and charged forward i mean i have mm-hmm. king Leonidas tattooed on my on my left arm really big with the skull of dead kings on on the inside of my arm saying Mm -hmm. like i will not surrender i will plow forward until (laughs) someone strikes me dead and there was part of this idea that i wanted that to happen no it's okay (laughs) it's okay i think that's the importance of humor yeah um the challenge is we live in a society where nobody did strike me dead so i just kept charging forward and forward and forward and i think a lot of people in our economic stockbroker world they're like warriors that Unless a heart attack gets them or their back completely gives out, like they're not, they're in war with themselves the, and mm-hmm. trying to accumulate like their bounty raping yeah. and pillaging this planet and themselves and their relationship and their own adrenals and mm-hmm. their very fiber of their being and the gifts that they were even brought here to this world to, they've sold their soul in a way mm-hmm. to uh, like, Hey, I'm going to, I just want it out of the project. So for right. me, I'm going to do whatever the hell I could do to get out of here. I remember the first thing I did was I bought a used Mercedes. It was a crappy car, but I'm like, I have a Mercedes. I bought all my suits at like not even Goodwill. It was cheaper than Goodwill. They didn't fit me. I looked like a black preacher on Sunday. I mean, they were like turquoise and purple and teal. I just didn't know any better. So I mean, I must have been the laughingstock at the car dealership, which is my first job I could get. And uh, And I just plowed ahead. And I think that what we're looking for is uh, a more gentle way to do that, because that could be some people's path. Yeah. You know, go and crash like me, and and maybe that's what maybe that's what you need to do, and uh, or maybe you could stop earlier, because it could have been worse. I could have kept pushing. I could have mm-hmm. taken some. Op- I mean, I did not by any means take it to the full capacity. I mean, I could have got back on opiates. I could have like went and got my spine re- like I don't know what the hell they do, but fused my spine together. Right. You know. Uh. You know. Got. You know, injections of some kind, you know, cortisol or whatever in my spine to kill the pain and plow forward even more.
2: Mm-hmm. I have, I have a couple of things I want to say in mm-hmm. response to that. And one is, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just thinking as you're mentioning that, how many people, including myself, and I think including you, once they get oriented to the different possibilities in an approach like what we're describing here, say... I am I'm thinking of one of my clients. I am so grateful for that incapacitating back pain I had because following this path it's completely reorganized me into such mm-hmm. a more beautiful life. Mm. You know, and we can keep pushing, but um what I wanted to say when you were uh talking about the voice that says, you know, you're a pussy, you don't deserve that, you mm-hmm. know. Um all praised pussies, by the way. <laughs> just have to put that. Yeah, plug and they all 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 no life insults. comes through them. Yes. They could
0: expand the size of a watermelon. You know, I think I think uh, I wait, think wait. penises are actually a lot weaker. You know, like you, you don't you, you don't do everything just right. They won't cooperate and participate with you. You're looking down. And you're like, come
2: on, man, what's going on?
0: <laughs> it gets cold. It does all sorts of interesting yes. things. It'll mimic a turtle. Do all sorts. Of-
2: <laughs> so the aside is praised. to yeah, the pussy, yeah. but. Um, I wanted to say that you know, the, the view or the orientation that we come from in that listening practice I'm describing is really in alignment with you know, my understanding and practice for 25 years in the Buddhist tradition, which is to keep inviting you into the self that's not a self, that is compassionate awareness. So when the voice comes up and says, hey, man up, you're a pussy, then that's another part. You can mm. say, oh, hello, hello, sweetheart. Yeah. You're really worried about me and you're trying to protect me. And I love this image I use often about um, relaxing into that more compassionate, vast self that really can welcome all these voices. And then it's like having you know three kids or puppies on your lap in a different mood. And they could even be fighting with each other. And you can say, hey, you who think I'm a pussy, you're here and you who are grieving, and I'm with you too, Mm -hmm. and there's room for both of you at the same time, you know? Mm -hmm. And embodied presence is such a, um, I don't know how you do that without that otherwise it just becomes mental you know i see people
0: turn embodied presence the idea of embodied presence into an idea and i've heard it on your podcast you ask well, what do you think about embodiment and somebody's like well everything's embodiment and then it's like hey wait a second yeah. i see what you did there yeah you know? it's true
2: i mean i think you know we can do that with anything it's turning the turning the the verb turning the lived experience of what's here right now into a noun and i just i just want to say and appreciate what something Francis Weller, who's been our mentor um, in many things, but particularly in working with grief, that sacred territory. um, He said, when we talked to him recently, all praise numbness and denial because holy shit, we need that sometimes. And I just love that someone who's really standing for meeting your grief Mm -hmm. and growing your presence doesn't say you should never veg out and turn away. We just need that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, um, It's good to have a sense of humor and notice that knee-jerk reaction to like it's almost like being in bright lights instead of cozy dim lights to step into the intimacy with life but it's also so beautiful to be there you know to trust that process i like to veg out i I love listening to audiobooks
0: (laughs) oh one of my favorite things i tell carl i have the most (laughs) awesome thing i'm going to share with you for me and i love things like ecstatic dance like sex is a beautiful experience too and being embodied and really practicing this creates turns sex into an exploratory experience. And like, even like rubbing on my own chest or like when I'm dancing, I'll, I'll be rubbing on different parts of my body. And I feel like I've done MDMA therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've only done MDMA therapeutically. Thankfully, I I didn't use that medicine, like in a place that would traumatize me. But like, I could get that whole experience of that euphoria, that oceanic, like, serotonin oxytocin like almost hallucinating feeling happen from physical (laughs) physical presence of my body being inside of it and outside of it and moving through it uh you know i've had full-on states of mystical mystical experiences during sex Mm -hmm. uh, uh with my partner madeline and it's been Profound, like I mean, the fact is, is that we are the medicine. The medicine's here. I mean, yeah. these, these. I'm not saying anything against you know working with different medicines. That's great too. Right. But that's the invitation and in how we could also access that. That's a great place when you get stuck and you have no idea, and all the other resources, right. uh, you can't find a way. That's a good place to do it. But to have that as your first thing, mm-hmm. you'll end up getting stuck on it because it's the invitation into a different way of being with yourself mm-hmm. and not the end in, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Well, I, don't know if I, I
1: always sense. love that story with Ram Dass and Neem Karoli Baba where you know Ram Dass and Timothy Leary were doing all of the acid tests and having you know all these mystical experiences and discoveries and Neem Karoli Baba's like okay give me some of your medicine and you know takes like some enormous amount like 12 hits of acid or something <laughs> and just is functioning like he does and greeting people and occasionally would look over at ramdas and wink uh, but basically was saying like this is the state i live in like your medicine maybe it gives an access point but it's not it's not the main thing it can be a, a gateway or something mm-hmm.
0: it's an important distinction to use the medicine as a way to invite whatever that medicine teaches you into everyday life i think that a lot of people believe that they have to keep going back to the medicine, like Mm -hmm. as opposed to what ways can I live my life that will help cultivate the experience that I'm seeking, that I'm receiving through the medicine. And sometimes the medicine will teach you that, but sometimes we lack the grammar to even know that that exists. So we don't even know to open that door on the journey. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, this is something that I've seen a lot in our, the community that I'm affiliated with is that a lot of people are taking these medicine journeys and I feel like a lot of people, and Alan Watts says this, you know, I don't know if he practiced what he preached, but, uh, you know, when somebody, ans- when they answer the phone, you don't need to keep calling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and I see this happening. And the challenge is with these medicines, there's also the risk of psychosis and a break of uh of reality like you could all of a sudden be perceiving reality very different than everyone else around you and then now you've got to figure out some way to integrate that and it's an initiatory process that some people don't make it don't make it back from right Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and and like everything we need elders and practices to to let those glimpses uh become more sustainable yeah Mm -hmm.
2: cook (laughs) cook you know to let them cook like alchemy (laughs) yeah 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 Um, I'm just thinking again to bring it back to a really simple when you're talking about integrating in daily life and there's so many ways so one is uh, hello sweetheart or hey big guy or whatever your inner life likes to be acknowledged for what we're carrying and also um, less effort more pleasure as Carl said, mixed with your intention, you know? So it's not Mm. just like lay on the couch and drink beer all the time. It's about, I want to do this thing. I want to bring forward something with excellence. How could I do that with less effort, more pleasure? And just how that turns on presence through your body, if you're willing to, oh, I could let my shoulders drop and my belly soften and my pelvic floor unclench and my jaw soften a little bit um, or breathe a little more fully or completely, you know? and that the other thing i love about that is it's not a right way. It's yeah. an invitation to be an ongoing relationship with yourself. And i think, you know, in our culture, i don't know why i was thinking about this in response to what you were just talking about, but the way we confuse doing our best with a sense of trying the hardest. So often we're, mm. we we don't feel like we've done enough until we're in pain. Then i've done my best.
0: Or pretty close to it. <laughs> right. A lot of effort. Even if not pain, right. a t- more effort equals good. Yes, equals yeah.
2: I really yeah. am doing my best. Or and... as
1: the bumper sticker goes, Jesus is coming. Look busy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: <Right>.
1: <laughs> so
2: I think that sometimes, <sighs> like, you know, I've n- we've never had this done in our home. I would love to. But to have an energy auditor come and say, hey, your old windows are leaking a lot of heat. And you're, mm. um, you're, you're refrigerator is an old model and it's really sucking too much electricity and you could insulate your roof and you're not leaking energy in that way. This kind of inquiry I'm describing is an ongoing way to do that in your own body to become more sustainable. I'm
0: picturing someone even in a house like that's super aware that that's their whole purpose is to like watch you for a week (laughs) And they like go like, okay, like with it would, kindness, it, it, with kindness, and they go like, it would be better if, if like your forks were here and your cups were there. Cause like <laughs> you're always going like back and yeah. forth because we become so habituated and mechanical by nature. Like right. that's what the human mind tends to do. It tries to figure out systems and then repeat it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's what it would always do, but in the current culture that we live in, where we have to earn this stuff called money that we then exchange for everything and, right. you know. We, we have to fill so many things. Like I'm looking at all of the books you have in your house. Basically, like you could probably build another house just from the books that you have. <laughs> if, you, if you lay them up, I totally think so. And, and I think that what's coming up here is, uh, I remember when I first started reading and learning new things, the minute I go to learn something, I, w- I would punish myself for not already having known oh, it. Oh,
2: sweetheart. Yeah. 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 So I'm like,
0: oh, you stupid. Why don't you even know this? You know, or I'd read a sentence yeah. and I'm like, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'd be like, why don't I get that sentence? Like, now I have to read it again. I don't have time to be reading this shit again. I mean, it was brutal. Like, the internal yeah. feedback loop. And I would just read and just sit with the discomfort of being like, I'm reading this page, and I might not understand a damn thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, I didn't always speak the way that I spoke. I think I spoke, I was looking back at this whole 10-year Facebook thing. Right. If you're listening to this, right now, this time is then that whole... This is me 10 years ago. This is me now. Things happening on Facebook. And I'm looking back at like even the words I was using. And it was like simple sentences like this and this and this and that. And this is what it is. And it was a total state of being. And I forget Robert Bly pointed to this state of being that it's like, you know, single syllable words, you know. (laughs) And and, and this the crazy thing is is that that state of being like actually works really well in the economic world. Because Mm. so many people are in it that you could quote unquote market and manipulate That those people not even realizing that you're manipulated because you yourself are being manipulated by the way that you're being in the world. So you're trapped in it. And something that I find a lot of people are afraid of is they're afraid to read different material that will go against what they already know because it makes their physical bodies uncomfortable and they've just associated anything that feels emotionally uncomfortable is bad or anything moving in these ways like all of a sudden I'm discovering that I am. There's there's this term called parasitic tension. Yeah. And the idea of a parasite is very deep. But right. parasitic tension meaning that muscles are contracting that don't need to contract in order to do the movement. You've learned that. You've yeah. conditionedly learned that. And the minute you move that, it's like you're finding out how bad how blocked up you are. It's kind of like being a man and looking at your most impotent state of of your, you know, your penis in the mirror when it's cold outside and just like standing there with your belly out. You're just like, oh man, I don't, I don't want to be with this. Mm -hmm. And you know, stopping and stopping all of this stuff and really being with yourself is very vulnerable, very challenging. And the shame voice gets really fucking loud. At least for me, I could speak. It beats the hell out of me sometimes. And sometimes it's more than I could take. And it's hard to even let that shame sit at the table because it's beating the hell out of everybody else at the table, tipping over the table, urinating on everybody.
2: Oh it's tender territory. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking of this uh, statement by Stephen Levine, one of our really important teachers who we never met when he was alive, but he was wonderful. A of, friend of Ram Dass and did a lot of work with death and dying and wrote some incredible books and taught with his wife, Andrea. And he said something that I think is so important, and you can apply it to so many places. He's, he was This is from a live Uh, workshop recording that Sounds True Has it's so great. It's called To Love and Be Loved, The Difficult Yoga of Relationship. Mm. We've we've listened to it so many times, I I almost know half of it by heart. And he said, somebody asked me, Stephen, how did you become so kind? And he said, I was surprised by the answer that came out of my mouth. And what it was is by noticing how unkind I was. How do you become more embodied? By noticing how damn disembodied you are. How do you become, you know, more anything? By noticing, and and if we're punishing ourselves for that noticing, it short circuits the learning right but this
0: is how we learn in school like if you don't do mm-hmm. well you get an f and then you have homework and then and if you don't have a lot of money and you like overdraft your account it's not that you just overdrafted then they hit you with a fee on top right. of overdrafting and then yeah. report you to check systems and then you know and then right this is this is how our whole society is being.
2: punishing society mm-hmm. yeah yeah it doesn't you know another world is possible. Mm. <laughs> another way of educating kids is possible. Another way of being with our own learning and our lives is possible. And it
0: starts with ourselves. Cause if we yeah. don't do it, like we can't expect someone else to just come over and love us while we're beating the hell out of ourselves. Right. We'll probably beat the hell out of them for loving us. And this is what I've seen with like borderline personality disorder with people mm-hmm. that have come to the dance and like, you're nice to them and they attack you. Yeah. And, it, and for me, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, what, what the hell is happening? Why are they attacking right. me? And I remember uh, oh, I used to feel if somebody would look at me endearingly like you both are, <laughs> I would feel this urge. And it's crazy. It happened to me at Esalen with Charles Eisenstein. I was at a retreat yeah. two years ago. And he's very sensitive to like kind of what's happening in the moment. And um, he was talking to me like very endearingly and saying very kind things to me. And he goes, what was that? And, I, and, it, and it totally interrupted because I, I was fighting back an urge, when he, an impulse, when he said, what was that? And I said, oh, something crazy. He goes, what, 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 what was it that was crazy? I goes, he goes, I goes, I just had an impulse. He goes, what was the impulse? I was to punch you in the face. Mm. And he goes, I felt that. And it was because I felt like, why are you being so nice and <laughs> endearing to me? You fucking want something from me or, uh. or, or, or like, I am unsafe with you doing this. like this you being really with me is Mm going to be followed by something really shitty. I better fucking fight you off. And this is a a real feeling. And I probably had that for a long time. It was probably so prevalent that I didn't even notice it. I mean, I'd have all sorts of weird impulses, you know, and to be, and then to not feel shame for having the fucking impulse. You see how it comes right back around? Like, oh, what the hell's wrong with you? Why are you thinking that, you know?
2: And so I'm just thinking about your the work that you've done in somatic education and changing how you are with your body and probably how you used to embody that in punishing yourself and weightlifting and whatever
0: and cracking it. Even I've done it a couple of times, right. even in this thing, pop, 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 like somehow, yeah. like I'm going to somehow pop everything into place and I'm going to yeah. be, I'm going to have arrived at that proper <laughs> adjustment.
2: And just how, how movement is so primary, you know, it's, it's, are the habits and the stuff that comes in from the time we're in the womb to you know even developing language, mm. how primary those patterns are to how we sense who we are and what's possible in the world, and how when you start in a safe context to explore where you're clenching, how you're pushing your habits of doing that, um, how it can change the the manifestation of the shame voice or you know the impulse to punch Charles in the face and then it gives us a a
1: handle where we can bring more choice and volition like I love the example like if I were to ask you Zach why are you the way you are when you're around your mother you know what yeah Yeah. there's a whole world but if I ask you how are you when you're around your mother like what's the pattern of breathing what do you do in your chest what's happening in your job
0: which is you talking
1: about that Mm
2: -hmm, your belly
1: I was totally I just I had my breath held the whole time I didn't even realize that until you said and, and so that's something where we can bring awareness and curiosity to it rather than, you know, trying to go into the why am I doing this or how can I do something different just to, you know, bring that kind of warm curiosity.
0: Gosh, you know, Erin just ran to go use the bathroom and she said, I got to go pee. And, I, and what it made me think of is I've also had to pee for a while, which is cool because we're probably wrapping this up shortly. But uh, we are so conditioned from the time we're children to not even be able to follow our own need to urinate. I remember, you know, in, uh, in, you know, elementary school, uh, having to get, or even I think junior high, maybe even having to get bathroom passes to go to the bathroom and you couldn't interrupt the teacher and you don't want to be the person that's always having to go to the bathroom. And uh, that we had to even get permission to pee. I mean, this is deeply rooted in everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's deeply rooted in... Education system, like taking the vitality of children and having them ignore that as that's less important than this conceptual thing that's on a blackboard, or just being around adults and caregivers and having our bodies resonate with a certain truth and having them tell us, no, this isn't what's happening. Like, you know, so
0: mm. again, uh, I, would, I would get called a hypochondriac when I was a kid because I was sick all, I mean. I was just varying degrees of sick Mm -hmm. you know like when I was like my best day back then is like equivalent to some of my worst days now I mean sick 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 on like nasal sprays and steroids and actifed I just take it like vitamins you know I mean I was so sick and my mom, I don't blame her really. I mean, she didn't know what to do. She she still believes that you go in and they fix you, you know. So she brought me to the doctor. The doctor's like, well, you know, uh, this is just how he is. So she's like, you're a hypochondriac, you know? Why are you, you know, what, what what's going on? And a lot of things the doctor couldn't find. You know, I had raging migraines where I felt like my eyes were about to explode. You know, that doesn't show up on a doctor exam when they're staring at you in the eyeballs. He's like, I don't really know what's going on. She goes, you're making it up, mm-hmm. and that's a Total mind fuck, because I'm like, I'm making it up. If I could just somehow not feel that this is happening, and then I feel bad for not being able to figure out how to not feel how I'm feeling, and then I start doubting the way that I feel. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting feedback loop. We were talking about the fact that you went to the bathroom and honored the fact that you had to use the bathroom, whereas <laughs> as in schools, you have to get permission to be able to go use the bathroom, you know? Mm-hmm. Permission to leave the table you know uh, permission to do a lot of things we lose our we we hand over our sovereignty over and over again to people that now have the responsibility to like contain our sovereignty no wonder my parents were so frustrated you know i had a you know they're trying to contain every aspect of me and i was kind of this wild squiggly thing and in a very rigid place and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. tear through the you know like i picture like a Cat in a paper bag, like with very sharp claw. Wolverine in a paper bag, you know, like <laughs> Honey Badger in a paper bag. It's gonna come out of that thing, you know. It's gotta keep putting bags around it. So, uh.
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Yeah, inner authority. I, I just, I just want to return to that because it's so important. Which is um, just the respect that's there. I think people get a little bit ruined by this work in that way too, where you're less likely if you go to the whatever expert and they say do this and you're like no it hurts i'm not doing that or i'm not you know not to be rebellious but to honor what's true for us you know i hear that from so many of our students and clients who um show up in such different ways for their physical therapy or their classes or the, where they're just willing to navigate as an adult you know and i do think that's true from um, growing maturity grief and gratitude being stretched large and re reappropriating our inner authority
0: you know what I love Aaron mm-hmm. is I love tackling this Maybe tackling is not even the right word see this is interesting our language gets into at least it was a verb uh-huh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's beautiful is it's not restricted you don't yeah. just have to practice Feldenkrais like right? that's uh-huh. not all you do you could you could expand in all areas at once, which I found super helpful. And different things could heal different aspects, of like course. ecstatic dance like could help you connect with people in your body and move in different ways. I remember when I first did ecstatic dance, they said, it was actually a soul motion class. They said, move your fingers like a tree. And how the hell I ended up there was just because I tried everything else. I was like Jim <laughs> Carrey and Yes Man. I'm just like, I'm just gonna do whatever because whatever I'm doing is clearly not working. I don't even know where to find it. And some woman that I was judging in my mind and then beating myself up for judging her in my mind. And then she invited me to this soul motion thing, which I don't know why she did. I looked like a bum at the time. This was one that my business had collapsed and I was mm-hmm. a, ru- slowly running out of money about to be in a tent, which I didn't know then. Mm-hmm. Had I been, Had I known that by then, I probably would have been terrified. She invited me to a class. I started moving my fingers. And as I started moving my fingers like a tree because it was a facilitated thing, I'm like, oh, I could. In my mind, I was like, oh, I could totally do that. I'm already embodied. I didn't even know the word embodied. But mm-hmm. if you would have asked me, I would have told you with certainty I was already embodied. I'd done yoga, and lifted weights, and did martial arts as a kid. I'm for sure embodied. And when she said, move your hands like a tree, and I'm looking at everybody else doing I'm like, oh, I can for sure do that. It's like moving your hands like a tree. And the minute I went to do it, I couldn't move my hands like a tree. I was like a rigid robot. And it was this huge freakout. Aha, both. both and frightened moment and as I tried to make it happen a voice came up in my head as I started moving that way and do you know what it said it said you're moving around like a little faggot you can get your ass kicked, you little faggot and I was like whoa what the hell and thankfully Mm -hmm. as grace would have it I had done enough reading and research and stuff to know that like oh wait a second like there's something here. I didn't quite know what the hell it was, but what it was happening is that these thoughts and different traumas in my life have blocked off how I would move. Mm-hmm. And for women, it's probably different ways that they move that might look sensual, that they got maybe slut shame for. Their uh-huh. uncle looked at him some way or whatever. And maybe they didn't even consciously make the decision to not move in that way, but they saw their uncle looking that way. They saw their strange response from their father. And then, they, and then both of them kind of chose to forget it. They stopped acting like that. And then they got locked in their body in that way.
2: I think, you know, we are following so many instructions in ourselves that we don't even know we're doing or where they came from, you know? And to just begin to slow down with humor, with kindness, to begin to discover, you know, countless weird habits that came from An experience like you're describing or what your dance teacher said when you're five years old about your belly or, you know, Mm. sitting in church with your knees together because that's how a lady sits and you need to. At least you got to sit was Russian
0: Orthodox as a kid. We had to stand up for three (laughs) hours.
1: (laughs) And that the cool thing about going back to Feldenkrais and the movement lessons is that you can discover all of those rules by how you roll your pelvis up and down or how mm-hmm. your head turns from side to side. Like, oh, there are all these things that say, oh, the ribs can't move or the breath has to be held in this way or my eyes have to do this. And we can gradually start to uh, yeah, soften the rigidities of those habits and compulsions.
2: And now I'm thinking of something that Russell says, which is if you're not present to what you're doing, with that kind of mindful spontaneity and by present I mean in an embodied way Mm -hmm. Um, you can only repeat the past you can only follow the neural grooves that are already paved Mm. only when we're present can we have that possibility for something new to emerge and for most of us you got to slow
0: down. <laughs> and the times are urgent. Slow down. Exactly. That's what Bio Kamalafe says. I wanted something that's coming up really powerful for me right now. Okay, and it's great. a confusion that I have. Like sometimes I see things mm-hmm. that in my and the way that I perceive it seems incoherent. I'm like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. And, uh, and I came at this through Feldenkrais first. So I, maybe that's why I see this in a different way. But you guys are both really active in the Jung Society of Utah and are also a, d- deeply into Jung's work and, you know, dreams and, you know, that whole process of alchemy, which interested Jung because you introduce all of these different things into a vessel and then the alchemical vessel changes all of those things. Meaning, again, we're struggling with language things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh there it's a process. You're putting multiple processes into a place and then a new process begin begins to unfold mm-hmm. that is different than the than the sum of all the parts. Not even greater, it's just completely it's all of those processes coming together in a different way. And I see a lot of people that are deep into the Jungian work and they seem very intellectual and heady and in a lot of cases disembodied, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I think might be valuable for them is to look at Feldenkrais and, and, and look at the body as an alchemical vessel. And as you take these different movements, breathing patterns, the way that the eyes move, uh, the way that you hydrate yourself and, all of, and, and the time that you spend with yourself and the voices that are going along with your body being one system an alchemical vessel uh and the moving the moving in different ways begins to shift the entire thing and that's how you could move your ankle and have the spot in your neck release and that's how you could discover a completely different way to sit stand breathe or whatever and it's this constantly unfolding alchemical vessel that we get to inhabit our entire lives Mm -hmm. why do you think that they don't make that or do you feel first of all i don't know if you feel that they make this connection but i feel a lot of times that People that go, oh, I'm that psychology person. I'm not that body person. What, what's this body mind split that's going on? Well,
2: I, I mean, there's deep roots in our culture of the body mind split. Huge, and um, and I think a, there's a lot changing with that, with trauma work and you know somatic experiencing and the way. Um, I'm thinking just a couple days ago this weekend, Carl and I were at a gathering of people, and one of the women we hadn't met before, and she introduced herself and she's a psychotherapist and was talking about this. And she said, she was asking us what we do. And we were talking about, you know, our somatic work. And she said, and you were therapists, right? And we said, well, no. She said, well, you're the real therapist, aren't you? Cause mm-hmm. the body is where it's at, you know? Mm-hmm. And her expression of wanting to do more than that. I don't identify as a therapist. You know, I like even the framing of education better than therapy personally. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a deep conversation we could go off on about the historical roots of the mind-body split, but Mm -hmm. it's not two. And I think psychology is beginning to integrate that. I could read whole
0: Jungian books without any mention of the body, Mm -hmm. like entire books, very deep, you know, profound, insightful. And in. I feel like if it had some of these anchors, and maybe that's what's happening now, this is beginning to weave together. That's my big interest in like working with the Jung Society. We're yeah. co-organizing an event. I think you guys are going to be teaching at this event, which is the embodiment event in mm-hmm. April. So I'm actually meeting with Adam on uh, Saturday, this coming up Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam is the current person who runs, Mahil founded it, and then Adam runs the Jung Society of Utah. But looking at taking you know this mind and meaning and dreams and all of this, mixed with the embodiment piece and weaving those together and bringing these two camps into the same place. And I think this is going to be like a
1: particle collision,
0: and something could come from this that's profound.
1: Yeah, and and that certainly, you know, there's a continuum of, you know, I'm thinking of uh, process work, you know, process-oriented psychology, which is deeply influenced by Jung and Arnie Mandel that's so bodily-based, you know, Mm. that really looks at what are the unconscious gestures you're making or things that you're doing with your hand or your eyes. So it's, it's definitely not across the board.
0: Yeah, I have, I'm not familiar. I'm just, the books that I've read haven't had it, but that could be, that's just my sample size. I have a, I have a, what is it called? Availability bias. So Mm. it's helpful to know that that even exists. I know David Bohm, which was what actually ended up leading to my back pain. I was reading that book about the body and the mind as a process, Mm -hmm. like, like like, the, the idea that there's these felts and this is the conditioned, fe- like, this thought happens, it creates this this felt, like, mm-hmm. and they're both part of this process of thought, and he oh, called yeah. it thinking versus thought, and, you know, and I, these were just totally new concepts to me by a theoretical physicist that, I, that wasn't embodied very much. I mean, kind of his fingers moved when he talked, and that was the main thing, but I think had I not had that little bit, it was that little bit of background that I think in some mystical way Mm -hmm. that caused my back to go like it was didn't cause it to see this is this cause and effect relationship that prepared me to be able to have the crisis that i had Mm -hmm. and also having a community of people that were there to support me all of a sudden it was i was able to do the work and Mm -hmm. then the initiation began Mm -hmm. and the initiation came in the way of me not being able to move getting down into the 120s and uh being every aspect of who I thought I was was tested and put to the test.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful.
0: So I think we'll wrap up with thank you both for coming. And uh, actually, I came to your house. So here we are, your house and office and library and kitchen and farm. right? Uh, uh, And I wanted to allow you to share what you have coming up if somebody wants to work with you. I know you teach it Ecstatic. You teach. Uh, You facilitate Feldenkrais... Um, awareness through movement, which is one of them. Uh, what what is this? What is the functional integration? How do, how does somebody reach out to you about that? Any workshops you have coming up? How do they find out about your work, your podcast?
1: Yeah, well, probably the the best way to find out about us is to visit our website at embodimentmatters.com. dot com, and we have a uh, our embodiment matters podcast, and then we also have this wonderful for those aren't who aren't local or those who are to Salt Lake um, an online embodiment lab where each month we're Uh, exploring a different topic through movement lessons and guided meditations. And it's just been a blast so far. We're just finishing up our month looking at Hara and, uh, you know, growing the presence and, uh, you know, dynamic aspect of the lower abdomen.
2: And Your Ribs Are Not a Cage is Mm. the next month that's coming up, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, We both do private work with clients, and you can find out about that on our website. We have a retreat day, winter retreat day, locally, coming up December 14th, I think. And then in the new year, um, you're doing your men's work, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to offer Women Embodied, probably starting in late February, early March. And I'm cooking up a multi-year training program, Evolutionary Embodiment, that's connecting. I never finished my intro in the beginning of this, but um, that... Is integrating this deep embodiment work that we're talking about with deep ecology and Joanna Macy's wonderful work that reconnects, uh, that I've been studying lately too. So that's coming, probably starting in the fall. Oh, and we're hosting a fantastic embodiment retreat in Costa Rica, February 15th through 20th on a wonderful, gorgeous organic farm that some friends of ours own and retreat center. So we're so psyched about that. Hell yeah. Yeah.
0: Costa Rica during the inversion of Utah. That's the best February is the month I always leave. It's also my birthday month.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much, Zach. Yeah, thanks for
0: having us. It was really great to talk with you, Zach. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more our work is focused on the liberation of spirit a return to the sacred which is a constant collective inquiry we aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality trauma systemic conditioning addiction loss of soul loss of meaning hopelessness helplessness isolation shame nightmares guilt and a return to glimpses of your birthright of dignity joy community collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. and we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.